Reading from John 15, starting at verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. All this I have told you, so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me. Thanks, Meredith. Well, I might continue uh, actually standing here. Can you see me at the back if I stand here like this? Yep, lots of nods. All right, oh, well, let's do this. Um, well, my name's uh, Coops. Um, I'm uh, one of the associate pastors here. So, welcome. I'd like to add my welcome to Craig's. Um, if you could keep your Bibles open at that passage, John 15, uh, verse 18, and you'll have an outline there as well. So, if you have that, Inside there, there's an outline uh, for the talk. If you could hang on to that, that would also be useful as we work our way through the passage. Now, as we start, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word and for using us in your plan to reach the world. Please help us know to hear your message, and we ask that we might be transformed by it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, uh, this passage today, as I was reading through it, it reminded me of an experience that I had uh, was years ago. I was uh, 30. We'd just had our first child. So Erin was born and she was in a pram. And we'd been invited to my cousin's 21st birthday party. And my cousin, he was sort of part of the cool group at school. And uh, we rolled up to this party and said hello to all of the family. And I looked down, we're on a balcony, and I looked down and there was a fire pit. And all these 21-year-old blokes were sitting around this fire pit. And I thought, well, I'm only 30. I reckon I could fit in with those fellas. And I've never been part of the cool group at school, but I thought, no, I'm, I'm okay here. So I, uh, I took the break off the pram, I grabbed a drink, and I went down the hill and I put the brake on the pram. And I sat down next to a couple of blokes around the fire and they didn't turn to me and they didn't say a word to me. I thought, that's all right, I can handle that. 
And I looked at one of them on my right and I said, how you going, mate? And he sort of looked at me slowly. He didn't smile. And he looked at me and his eyes flicked back to the pram. <laughs> and he said, is that your kid? <laughs> and I went, yeah, I just knew that that moment I wasn't going to fit in with this group. You know that really awkward silence? And so I waited a few moments, had a sip of my drink. I got up, took the brake off the pram and I slinked back off the hill, up the hill to my own people. <laughs> and I imagine you probably had the same feeling. You know, you just get that vibe. You're just not going to fit in here and you're not welcome. So I'd been rejected at my cousin's 21st. Now, it wasn't a big deal. It didn't scar me greatly for the rest of my life. But there are types of social rejection that do, right? There are things that can happen that affect us really strongly in terms of belonging because we have this strong desire to be part of a group. If we belong to a group, it sort of says something, doesn't it, about who we are. And when we're not, when we're rejected or we're not accepted, well, it's personal in a way. It gets us questioning ourselves, asking us, you know, who do we think we are? And today's passage urges us to witness to Jesus and it warns us that doing so is going to lead to rejection. And it's worse actually, it's quite a heavy passage. This passage warns about hate and persecution. And it's because the world that we live in loves its own, but its own aren't the people who talk about their love for Jesus. For those people, Jesus defines who they are and that's actually what makes them different. And so often the world doesn't love them. That's the message uh, of our, our passage here in John. And so for us, you know, we have this natural desire to conform and we can feel pressured to not tell people about our love for Jesus, can't we? And yet this passage here urges us to do exactly that. And so it's worth thinking now about our own attempts to tell people about our love for Jesus. Do we do that? Are we active in doing that? Or has this sort of pressure for conformity crushed that a little bit inside of us? Well, that's what today's passage is about. And so I want to encourage you to be thinking about that really important question as we look at what the Gospel of John's got to say to us. And this part of the Gospel of John, this is just after where Jesus has spoken to the disciples about being in union with him by the Spirit and that that's the only way to be fruitful. And as we move now into verse 18, he explains the reality of life, the reality of this life, of being in union with him. And that's the first outline on your, uh, first point on your outline there, our expectation, our expectation. Now, I used to work at Bunnings as a teenager. I worked there for five or six years as I was coming through high school and we'd stock all the shelves. I worked in the gardening department. I know nothing about gardening, but I was there. And we'd move bags of fertiliser around, like the really big bags. And if I had a choice to lift them individually off a pallet or to use a forklift, I'd choose a forklift, right? It makes sense. It just, it hurt less. Because if I'm giving two choices, I'll generally pick the easiest one, or at least the one that doesn't hurt the most. But actually, if we've chosen to commit our lives to the Lord Jesus, it's the opposite to that. We should expect discomfort. 
and often hurtful treatment. And that's what makes today's passage so difficult. Uh, You might know C.S. Lewis. He's a well-known English Christian author. Many years ago now, um, around the Second World War, he lived and he summed it up. He he stated this quote. C.S. Lewis says, I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. If you want religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. And that's really what verse 18 here uh, tells us. Verse 18, have a look at that with me if you've got your Bibles there. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. So if you've committed your life to the Lord Jesus, you've been chosen out of the world. That means you're reconciled to God for eternal life with him. But that is extraordinary, isn't it? If you stop and just ponder that, that is extraordinary. Like, why have we been chosen? There's no merit. There's no reason that why we've been chosen out of the world, but we are. It's a miracle. That is a miracle. And people ask, do miracles happen? This is a miracle. We have been chosen out of the world for eternal life with God. But it also means to be hated. And that's strong language. If you belong to the world, it would love you. But you're different, so it hates you. And verse 20 here says, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Now this is Jesus speaking to his disciples. That's the context that we're in. But notice here, he says a servant is not greater than his master. And the word here that's used for master also means Lord. So we could read this as saying, a servant is not greater than his Lord. So if we call Jesus Lord, we're not greater than him. And so we can't expect to be treated differently. If they persecute me, Jesus says, and we know that they did, they crucified Jesus, it's the ultimate persecution then they will persecute you also. So there's no wiggle room there. This is a certainty. Hatred and persecution as followers of Jesus is our expectation, actually, because Jesus was persecuted first. And here in Australia, we're not really used to that type of treatment, at least that harsh treatment. We've had a pretty good run as Christians. In the early 1900s, Sunday church was the major social event for people. So we had a lot of people coming into church and society was really heavily influenced by Christian values. And overall, I would say Christians haven't been treated too badly, but it's not normal when you look at history. What's normal for Christians is difficulty and persecution. And Christians have been persecuted from the time of the Roman Empire uh, right through, you would have seen on the news with ISIS and Iraq and recent events like that. And actually, even in Australia, the temperature's rising, isn't it, against Jesus and the gospel? There's a lot of media attention around Israel Falau. There's been the debate around the Religious Discrimination Act, debates around abortion and euthanasia. And the reality, really, is that Christians in Australia are going to be in for a tougher time. 
But we shouldn't be surprised because it tells us right here in the Gospel of John that that's exactly what's going to happen. So that's pretty heavy going. But look at the end of verse 20. The end of verse 20. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. And here the the word that's used for teaching means word. So I could talk about this by saying, if they obeyed my words, they will obey yours also. So Jesus is saying that if they obeyed Jesus' words, they'll obey the disciples' words as well. And we look in the book of Acts, we know that, don't we? The disciples, they went about teaching about Jesus, they taught Jesus' words. And some heard it. And so when we tell people about the death and resurrection of Jesus, we're telling them Jesus' words. They're right here in the Bible. Jesus' words, they're right here. And some will hear it. So that's, that's the contrast here. There is a real contrast. Some will react to the word with hate, but some will hear it. But that's the nature of the gospel, isn't it? It, it divides people. The gospel is divisive. And we know because the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, he says this, To the one we are an aroma that brings death, to the other an aroma that brings life. You see, there's only two reactions to the, the word of Jesus, only two reactions to the gospel. Sadly, some will react with hate to that message, but some will hear it. See, our world, it it talks about tolerance for different beliefs, but tolerance is often not the reaction to the gospel. It divides people one way or the other. And so I want to say to you, if you've had that reaction when you talk to someone about Jesus or when you've explained the gospel, then it means you've explained it properly. And I don't mean that to be confrontational. I just say that the gospel divides people and that's the effect that it has. Um, I have a friend back in Sydney, he's very open about his faith, Uh, he's a very mature Christian and he tells all of his workmates about the reason that he loves Jesus and he told this story uh, one day, he said, I went up to a work, he was at a work function, a work colleague came up to him and he said something to him, something along the lines of, listen, I don't like you, I don't like what you're on about and I don't like the way you go about it and my friend thought, this is great, I'm being persecuted for Jesus. And the guy looked at him and said, and it's not because of what you believe in, it's because you're an idiot. (laughs) You see, he knew, this friend of mine knew that if he was being persecuted for telling people about Jesus' word, then strangely enough, that's a good thing. It's not comfortable, but it means the gospel was being heard. But he was disappointed because when his workmate called him an idiot, he was objecting to his personality, not to the gospel. And it's the gospel that we want people to wrestle with, not the way we are. It's not us we want people to wrestle with, it's the gospel. And we tell people the gospel because we know that they need to hear it. And it comes from a place of love because we want them to be saved even as it hurts. And even as it hurts more as Australia moves further away from its Christian foundations. And so... 
If you've been hurt sharing your love of Jesus with others or sharing the gospel, then I want to say to you, keep sharing. It's not because I want you to experience hate or persecution, but because some will hear it. They'll understand the confidence and the joy that death takes us to our Lord for eternity. If you trust Jesus, well, that knowledge puts those worldly things in their proper perspective, doesn't it? That we've been chosen out of the world. And some of those that we tell will hear it. That's the joy and the hope that we have. Even if it hurts as we tell them. And so why, why does this hatred and persecution occur? Uh, and that brings us to the second point on your outline, our reaction. Well, I think it's fairly normal. If I get treated horribly, I normally will feel upset and angry. If it's bad enough, I might want to push back. I think that's normal. No one wants to be treated horribly, especially physically. And so when it happens, uh, it's natural, right, to feel resentment towards the other person. And it got me thinking, um, and I don't know if you read in the news a few months ago, there was an off-duty police officer in Dallas, in the US. She went home after a 14-hour shift to an apartment block where she lived. And as she came up the stairs, she saw the door slightly open. And as she peered in, there was a man sitting on the lounge. And she drew a gun and she entered the apartment and she killed this guy. But she didn't realise she'd gone into the wrong apartment. All the apartments looked the same and this poor man was just sitting in his own lounge room eating ice cream. And this lady, she's been convicted of murder because she did something terrible which, and it was wrong, of course it was. And she's faced justice just as she should. And I read this article and I felt, I felt so sorry for that poor man and for his family. And then as I read further down and I realised what had happened to this lady, I felt really sorry for her too. She just didn't know she was in the wrong apartment. It doesn't justify what she did, but she didn't know. It doesn't make her less guilty. But as I read down to the bottom of the article, I, just, I felt differently about her. Just a little, when I knew that she didn't know she was in the wrong place. And so when I read through this part of John, and I read the warnings of the treatment that Christians, Christians can expect for their beliefs... I think it's natural to feel angry or upset. You know, why, why is this going to happen? Why does this happen? But look at verse 21 here with me. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. See, this treatment for Christian, it happens because they don't know the one who sent Jesus, God the Father. That's why it happens. They don't know. If you remember back to John 14, verse 9, it says, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. This is what Jesus says. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Well, they've seen Jesus. He's been doing his ministry for three years by now. Uh, And in fact, Jesus has been revealed to all the world, hasn't he? In all of history, through the Bible. But if anyone doesn't know Jesus... They don't know the Father. And if we skip ahead now to chapter 16 here, verse 1, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they're offering a service to God. 
So Jesus is telling his disciples here, the Jews who persecute you, they'll think they're offering a service to God. They think they're doing the right thing. And of course they're not, but that's what they'll think. They don't know the Father. And they think they're doing the right thing. They're mistaken and sadly misled. And we know this happened because all of the disciples were killed except for one. And so I wonder, what does that look like for us currently here in Australia? Well, there was a story in the Sydney Morning Herald newspaper. It wasn't too long ago. There was a woman fired from her job. She'd posted on Facebook during the same-sex plebiscite that it was okay to vote no. And her employer fired her for that. Maybe the employer thought they were doing a service to their community. But the reality is they don't know the Father. And they think they're doing the right thing. But actually, this is much more than a mistake. This is much more significant than just a mistake. If you look at verse 22 here with me. Jesus says, If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. And so to be clear here, it's not that by coming and speaking to them that Jesus made them guilty as if they weren't sinful before he came. No, what he means here is that God's plan to reconcile his people to himself has been revealed by Jesus dying on the cross and rising from the dead. And that makes plain the central sin, rejecting God. But if you think about it, God's plan can't be any clearer, can it? He sent his own son into a broken world to fix it at the cost of his own life. And it was foretold in the Old Testament, recorded in the New. And even outside of the Bible, Jesus is recorded in non-Christian historical documents. Like God has revealed himself very clearly. And so it says at the end of verse 22, but now they have... Verse 22, that confused you, didn't it? (laughs) At the end of verse 22, but now they have no excuse for their sin. Because with sin, rejecting God comes judgment. And there's no excuse to sin by rejecting God because he's clearly revealed his son to the world. And so this police officer in Dallas, well, there's no excuse, is there, for killing that man? But I think that if any of us were there that night, if we'd seen her walking up the stairs, looking at that door just slightly open, drawing a weapon, well, I think we would have shouted at her at the top of her lungs, wouldn't we? We would have told her to stop. You're going the wrong way. Turn back. And if she turned and shouted back, why? Why should I turn back? We'd shout because if you keep going, you're going to make a terrible mistake. And you're going to be guilty. And you'll be judged for it. We would shout that, wouldn't we? And we might even do it if it would cost us something. I had a quick look. Dallas still has the death penalty. Now, if we knew that, we might even take a risk, mightn't we, to stop her that night? If we knew the stakes were that high for her? And if that's true then how much more should we be telling people about Jesus? That they can only know God the Father by knowing God the Son, Jesus. And we can tell them, and some will listen. 
And it's not a jail cell that's at stake. Right? This is eternity. And so out all of this, out of all of this, what is our call to action? That's the third point on your outline, our call to action. Well, Jesus says he will send the Spirit from the Father and the Spirit will testify. This is verse 26. And it is this time, verse 26. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? We know if we read the book of Acts, Jesus ascends to be with the Father, the Spirit comes, and the Spirit's poured out upon the faithful. And in the second part of the verse, the Spirit will testify. So if you think about that word, someone who testifies is a witness. And someone who witnesses, witnesses against an adversary. That's what testifying means. There's no point testifying if everyone agrees with you. It's like being in court. You testify if you're a witness to what you know to be true. And so the Spirit here will witness to the truth of God's plan through Jesus. And if the Spirit is a witness that's poured out onto the disciples, then the disciples can witness too. And that's exactly what Jesus says to his disciples here in verse 27. And you also must testify, you must testify, he says, for you have been with me from the beginning. You must testify. There's no wiggle room there, is there? It's a certainty. The disciples have been with him from the beginning of his ministry. And for us, if we look at 2 Corinthians 1, verse 21, and there's many verses, but this is one I've picked, it tells us, Now it is God who makes us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit. See, if we trust Jesus, we have the spirit in our lives. We have the spirit in us. And so if the spirit is a witness... We're a witness to Jesus, each of us. The spirit of truth which enables us to see the truth. It's written right here in the Bible. And we've got the truth about Jesus' entire ministry right from the beginning because it's written here. And so we are to testify about Jesus. And sometimes it will hurt. Um, I think during the interview a couple of weeks ago, uh, we talked a bit about the moves that we'd done. I used to live in Perth, and over in Perth, the SAS uh, barracked over there, the Special Air Service, the um, sort of the specialists of the Australian Army. And I knew a guy uh, who was in the SAS over there. He was a thoroughly nice bloke, and he would disappear for months at a time, and then he'd just sort of turn up again at kids swimming. And he'd tell me bits and pieces of the things he'd got up to. Not a lot, little bits and pieces. It was thoroughly interesting. Uh, But the thing that I really picked up from this guy, and particularly when he talked to me about SAS selection, what he had to do to get into the SAS, this was a guy that suffered. Like he had gone through extreme, harsh physical treatment, freezing cold exposure, punishing physical exercise, interrogation techniques this guy knew what it meant to suffer but he persevered and he did it because he believed in what he was doing 
And he knew actually that even though he suffered, he was becoming a much better soldier, more resilient, tougher. And he was. It's a bit like us. It's a bit like that for us. Christians don't belong to the world, but we live in the world. And that takes perseverance. Um, I want to point out some, um, a report that I was reading recently. It was the 2018 National Church Life Survey. So you're probably familiar with it, where there's a group that comes and asks a bunch of, a bunch of churches around Australia questions. On this particular survey, they asked a thousand people, or over a thousand, uh, questions about attending church. And the result said of those that had never been to church, not once, 10% said they would if they were asked, and 23% said they weren't sure, so they might. And of those who used to attend church in the past, 24%, so that's a quarter, said they would if they were asked, a quarter of them. And 30% weren't sure, so they might. But that's powerful. So we must be prepared that as we witness for Jesus, it will be costly. But even this survey shows there's a lot of people who'd check church out if only they were asked. 10% who've never been. So if I ask 10, I'll get nine knockbacks. And some of them might be quite painful. But I'll get one person to say yes. And God willing, uh, we haven't talked about my age, I don't think yet, but I reckon I've got probably 40 years, maybe a little bit more of church left in me. So if I persevere persevere through those 40 years, that's a lot of people who might know the Father through hearing the gospel about his son, isn't it? And if I don't get them to hear it, who will? And that's tolerance, isn't it? Persevering through all of that, to see people saved. That's a lot of people who might realise that actually there's an eternity and they need to be forgiven for rejecting God. And Jesus provides that forgiveness. They just have to place their trust in his death and resurrection for them. That's a tough passage, but our Father has sent us the Spirit so that we're never alone as we go about this business for him. And so think about that gift, what we've been given through the Holy Spirit. That is extraordinary. That is a miracle. We've been given the Holy Spirit so we can persevere through those tough times and carry out God's work. That's the spirit of truth. That's what we've been given. And so I want to exhort you, let's be confident in our product. We've got the spirit, the witness of truth to Jesus so that we can witness to the truth of it too. Let's be bold and tell people why we love Jesus and be ready to explain the difference that he's made in each and every one of our lives. Let's pray that we might do that. Let's pray that as we need to each time to turn to God, to work through the Spirit, to help us share our love of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your message this morning and for preparing us for difficulties and for sending the Holy Spirit to us. Father, please put opportunity in front of us to witness to Jesus and to share the gospel's saving message to those who need to hear it. Help us to be bold, give us wisdom in what to say and when to speak. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. 
Amén.